0: Howdy folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, Katie and I have the privilege of viewing some of the questions that you have submitted over the last few weeks. And this is fun for us. It really sparks some new conversations for Katie and myself. And so we enjoy these episodes. Hopefully you find them enjoyable and helpful. If you do, we would love it if you were able to leave this podcast a rating or a review on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts at and if you watch us if you watch this podcast on youtube then you can subscribe to this channel or you can like or share it any of those things really help us and we big time appreciate it uh because we love doing this and we want to do it more let's get this thing rolling
1: but now that we're a family Okay, so we're doing questions tonight, which is always fun to read your questions on Instagram and to be able to go through and just answer them. So do you want to go first, Elisha, or do you want me to go first?
0: Uh, Let's see if I've got a good little icebreaker here. Um, Katie, do you get dressed and do makeup every day?
1: That might be a better question to ask Elisha. You might get a more realistic answer. I (laughs) think
0: you definitely get dressed every day.
1: Yes. I would say I'm probably four out of seven days for makeup at some point in the day. It's not always right when I get up. And I say that because it's like, I'll do it for Sunday. I'll do it if we have a date night. Mm -hmm. I do it obviously for podcasts, if someone comes over. Um, But at least a solid three days, maybe four days, I don't wear makeup around the house. Would you say?
0: I mean, it seems like you're wearing makeup more often than that. Because I I do think we have people over at our house more often. I mean, you think of going to community group on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, community
1: group. So I don't know, maybe four or five days a week. I'd say four or five days a week. But it's not always like I don't, I rarely get up in the morning and do my makeup straight away. It's usually like during the kids' nap times, I'll do it. Or like it's a half day or before an evening event type of thing.
0: Yes. But you are faithful in getting dressed. You dress for success every day.
1: Yeah, I don't. Most days I don't slob around. I will have a day, <laughs> you've my, never slobbed around I might have a day or two where I do, but for the most part, I try to get dressed for the day mm-hmm. and yeah but i I'm very comfortable with myself without makeup. I guess I don't feel like
0: oh, yeah, you look great
1: but but there there are certain outfits that I wear that would look silly if I didn't have makeup on, hmm. if that makes sense because I feel like it. Or maybe if you did your hair really ornately or something like that. But it's just like the whole outfit's elevated. So I feel like I need to elevate my face too to go with the outfit. That makes sense. Anyways. Yeah,
0: it feels like out of place. Yeah,
1: I do like to get dressed for the day, I should say. But my makeup usually takes me about five minutes unless it's like a date night. Got it. I'm getting more fancy. I like it. So yeah, that's easy. Um, Let's see. What habit would you pick first when trying to change lifestyle sabbath morning routine etc yeah
0: that's a great question i saw that one too and i thought that'd be a fun one to ask because i think it's a i think it's like the right question to ask in a lot of ways yeah it's good it's easy to get overwhelmed with doing a, uh if you want to overall overhaul your life what did she say or she's...
1: um what habit would you pick first
0: first if if you want to
1: change your lifestyle yeah
0: change your lifestyle so if you want a lifestyle style overhaul it can become really daunting and intimidating and so i think identifying one habit that you could change that would get you going in that direction is helpful i think for me i i always go to the morning routine it's it's a tough one i know the sabbath is life-changing or evening routine is life-giving um but if if my personal morning routine gets me on track faster than any other thing that, um, faster than any other routine that I have.
1: Yeah. I'd have to agree with you on that. Is that right? It's crazy because I mean, all habits, there's a trickle effect from Mm. our habits, which is nice if your habits are serving you and it's not, if they aren't. So there really is, if you get one of these habits changed, you know, the habit or the morning routine, then, or or, sorry, that habit of the Sabbath or the morning routine, which Mm -hmm. were the two she mentioned here. It's going to have that trickle effect. But the morning is what you get every single day. Mm. And it helps you remember what you prioritize before you even start the day. So I feel like you can have the biggest amount of change when you're reminding yourself daily what you prioritize versus weekly what you prioritize.
0: That's a good point. I mean, just the the nature of it being daily. But I would say there are other daily habits that then flow from my morning, working out every day, being in God's word every day. Because you could just choose one of those and say that would be a really good trigger habit for a lifestyle overhaul to say, I just want to read the Bible every day. But for me, like my morning routine, that's what that means is when I, when I have my morning routine, God's word
1: for me, it means working out. Yes. same. It means going over my to-do list before the kids get up. Yes. You know, knowing what I'm going to make for the day for food. Like it's just a lot of things, right?
0: It's kind of all encompassing. Yeah.
1: And it's really hard to do a Sabbath unless you're on top of things weekly, because unless you're eating out three meals that day, you have to have food and right. you also have to have, like, it's not very restful to rest in a dirty house. And so when I'm not on top of my morning routine, our, our Sabbath really suffers too, mm. because I'm just not on top of things.
0: Yeah. that Makes sense. Huh. Okay. Um, let's see. I like this question. What do you do to find joy in every day?
1: Oh, that's sweet. Isn't it? I know. I like that question. <laughs> that's a sweet little happy question. Yeah. Uh, what do you do to find joy in every day? I mean, talk to you would be... My number one.
0: Oh, well, I certainly find joy in talking to you as well. You don't have to say that. Well, after (laughs) I mean, come on. I'm not going to say it after you. I am
1: not fishing
2: (laughs) at all. Like,
1: genuinely, I love when it's in the morning when we get a visit before you leave for work or if you have to come home to film something in the garage. I love touching base, seeing who you've called... Uh, seeing what you've done, I don't know, the evenings. Yeah.
0: I, I've come to find joy in a lot of little processes in the day, you know, after reading that Musashi book, <laughs> like where he's so detailed, you know, and preparing his tea and just like in, in sewing. He really makes you think about enjoying some of the very small things in life.
1: Elisha took up quilting.
0: I did not, but I do find a lot more joy now, like in preparing my coffee every morning. Yeah, you Like do. preparing my coffee brings me joy every morning rather than it just being something that I want to get done Is fast as I can so that i can drink it i really enjoy the process uh, i enjoy reading a lot more when i am able to write i really enjoy that as well especially um writing by hand yes. like i mean like when you're yeah love it i love being able to journal and then i think things like going on walks anytime you're able to get outside it's extremely helpful uh, and then playing music i'd say those are things that consistently bring me bring me joy but there are yeah there's other things anytime i i have to get fixated on like a task, you know, I was even playing with, well, Lawrence was playing like with his army men. And, uh, I was just kind of like looking at how those things were made. And I was like, these are awesome. And it's crazy how, uh, like our life is so the 21st century it's everything. So stimulating everything, everywhere you go, it's so bright and fast paced and moving, uh, fast moving. And so I think like when I'm able to, even when I pull out my instrument and you kind of like look at the wood on mm-hmm. it, I love moments like that uh now so yeah I mean it sounds kind of dorky but no no that is
1: so true like you picture the army men those things are actually really well crafted Uh, and I'm just basically stepping on on them all day like checking them out Uh, but yeah when we when we actually pause to appreciate something uh I think something that brings me joy consistently more and more and more and more actually is cooking Mm -hmm. in our kitchen either doing it with one of the children because that's fun they really enjoy it and just like the art of it I think I'm Really enjoying that more and more. That's so. awesome. Good for you. Okay, Elisha. This woman's husband is very into sports and doesn't want to completely unplug on Sabbath. Mm-hmm. What are your tips for her?
0: My tips for her? <laughs> I feel like you're the you're the one with the tips on this on this subject because yeah, I can speak from experience on this. We've we implemented the unplugging the internet for our Sabbath, which we find extremely helpful to unplugging from work but i'd say there's been um i don't know in you know in my estimation 3 to 5 times i feel like i can count them on one hand yeah. uh, situations where i've really wanted to watch a game and you've totally been cool with me turning the internet on for that period of time it's not like i had to ask permission i just like <laughs> i was just like i kind of like told you i was like hey This is like, I actually really want to
1: communicate if we're going to like go against the Sabbath rules, I guess, and be like, Hey, this really matters to me.
0: Yeah. And oftentimes it wouldn't, it wouldn't be for the full game. It would be, you know, for the second half or whatever. And the kids nap. Yeah. During the kids naps when they're, when they're down. So it doesn't really throw off the normal flow of the Sabbath. Um, And I've enjoyed that. Like I never felt guilty about it. Like I was compromising the, the family, you know, rest period it was really enjoyable, and and I, I would like if there is a, a game that I really care about going forward, I would totally be fine, you know, doing the same thing. Like I wouldn't feel like it'd be a huge compromise on on the home.
1: Yeah, so I mean that's our standard, and obviously turning the internet and in, off in the first place and completely unplugging is our family's arbitrary standard, and you want Sabbath to work for your whole family and to be restful for your whole family. And that means that everyone, primarily your husband's needs and desires need to be considered. You do not want Sabbath to feel like you are dressing your husband up in a tight button t-shirt like his mom and dragging him to Sunday school. Like You want it to be this enjoyable experience, otherwise he's going to resent you it sounds like you're on the verge of re- resenting him. And, um, so maybe it's a time to have a sit down conversation and be like, what do we want our Sabbath to be as a family? And if your husband, you know, that's the one day a week, he feels like he can chill and watch a game. He works all week or whatever. And that's his, his time. And he wants that and values that on, on his Sabbath then like you win the war by just graciously letting him do that and coming up with a way to make it enjoyable and fun because it's something he values. So,
0: yeah, I agree. You
1: know, make him popcorn or something. Yeah. <laughs> make, you make it special for him. Sure. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Make like, different. Like, and... you can make it different and special than regular.
0: Than yeah. Again, our, our decision to not have internet was totally arbitrary you know like it was it but it was based in the bible but it was based off of we had a specific why we wanted to remove ourselves from work we did not want to be and when we did this we were more active on social media too and so we i mean there's nothing more unrestful than social media uh, in my in my opinion uh and it's like it's really fatiguing and, and i knew that being on my computer i'd see emails i'd see messages getting on youtube you see stuff on there that reminds you of work that's really distracting. It's not restful. And so for me getting a particular game and I, that's another thing too. Anytime I watch a game, I usually have to like subscribe to a certain service. And so I'm there like just for the game. Um, so I think that's why I've, I've found it to serve the purpose. Uh, and so I think understand being on the same page with your spouse as to why you would unplug the internet. Is it? Yeah. Is is sports not a part of that? You know, is or is is, do you just want to get away from work? I don't know. And I
1: mean, I could totally relate to obviously not wanting a computer on and commercials and all that stuff. But that's just, if he wants that to be a part of your family culture, then it's going to be a part of your family culture. So try to make it a way that's a win for everybody instead of, you know... Looking over the back of the couch with your arms crossed and glaring yeah. <laughs> like that's just not going to be restful for anybody. Yeah, and then
0: I think to you know husbands, fathers, we can be a lot more sensitive as to how our behavior is affecting the the overall home. We really do have so much influence over the mood of the home, over the culture and the the attitude of the home. And if you know your TV is front and center in the living room. And, yeah, like you said, commercials and just, you know, if you have the, the volume up allowed, that really can be disruptive to the whole home. So maybe trying to find a way so that you're able to enjoy your thing, but it's not as disrupt disruptive to the home would be the right thing to do um, in that situation. Yeah. I don't know.
1: That's good. I like that. <laughs> Again, that's just like, what? One person's take.
0: Okay, so I get to ask a question
1: now. Yes. Uh
0: huh. All right. Someone recently said we don't have an open door policy, and it hurt, but it's also true. What's your opinion on that? To protect our littles and our time, I don't feel it's wrong.
1: Not having an open door policy. Yeah. Sorry, I was totally reading another question. Yeah. I
0: so somebody told them you don't have an open door policy, like no. as a as a as like a diss almost. No, it sounds like, ooh, and I, it said it hurt, but it's also true. And then they asked, what's your opinion on that? We do it to protect our littles and our time. It doesn't feel wrong.
1: No, I mean, where is that wrong? Again, going back to scripture, we're supposed to have hearts of hospitality. That does not mean that you're just, your door is open 24-7 to whoever <laughs> would like to walk through it. Like, there might be people who are called to that, and but it is not like a command for the believer. and. Anywhere that I see. And so if someone's putting their expectations on you, that's just, honestly, that's like a really rude thing to do. This yes. person needs to work on their social etiquette before demanding that you have an open door policy. Um, we definitely did not have an open door policy growing up. My parents were very hospitable, had people in our home all the time, but it was uh, curated groups with certain groups that they wanted to be more hands on or have a higher, um, I don't know, like, Better watchdogs mm. of the situation, those were times when they were really thoughtful. I don't know, I think as a parent, you are that protector for your kids, and mm-hmm. so that's going to look at different ways for different families.
0: Yeah, we didn't have an open door policy or you know, that growing up, and then there was a time period when from when I was maybe like 14 to 16 or 15 to 17, right in there, it was about two years where. I think because my parents really wanted to be the central hub for the young adults in their home hanging out with with friends with peers they kind of implemented somewhat of an open door policy where they're kind of like well hey we'd rather everyone be here than you you being who knows where with your friends and so it was it kind of became the standard for anybody to come by any of our peers to come by without notice and to stay the night without a heads up or to join us for meals. And of course my parents were gracious with it, but then they really saw that that started to have a negative impact over time on our over on the younger children in particular. Cause that's, I mean, that's talk about a tricky dynamic in parenting. When I mean, you've got like 17 year olds, 15 year olds, you know, 18 year olds, and you want them to be social and be around other teenagers. But then you've also got a six year old and you really care about them being able to be a child, be on a good schedule and a good routine. And so that was one of those things that my parents had to, you know, try to reinforce after a time, which is kind of tricky. It's like, it really is like trying to get the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, And there were kind of some hurt feelings, but they really made some hard decisions for the well-being of my younger siblings at the time. And I respect him for
1: it. I do too. I really do. And I think that hospitality is more of a heart posture. And, you know, if someone in need shows up on your doorstep, you take them in or are mm-hmm. you just like, no, my house isn't clean. Come back later, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I would not feel bad for having to make that decision for your family.
2: Yeah.
0: And and the thing is is that Katie, you as like a hostess or as the matron of the home, you are so gracious. Anytime somebody drops by or swings by, uh, we never tell people like, sorry, you can't come in, you know, but we will like, yeah, yeah, that's never going to be the case. Like you mentioned. Um, but we will tell people like, Oh man, this is crazy. We're getting ready to head out the door or, you know, we got to go do this. This isn't a good time. So I, I mean, at your home. If you've got to be able to have the freedom to to run it as though it's your home
1: yeah exactly like sometimes i'll welcome people in if they're stopping by and sometimes we'll just visit right on the doorstep yeah you know that's right um okay let's see here um okay here's one that i guess is more for me but it's do you follow the traditional school schedule taking the summer off and right now with our children, we don't, we just kind of take off when we take off. I really like to avoid the slump of forgetfulness. Mm. <laughs> Every homeschool mom, any any mother of any children knows what I'm talking about, uh, where kids just totally forget what they were working on. And I feel like that starts to happen uh, about like a week, a week and a half. So I don't usually like to go longer than that without just lightly touching some of the basics. Mm. Um, so that's what we're doing right now. When I grew up, we homeschooled year-round until I think I was 14 or 15. And then, I don't know, we just had a crazy social life at that point, like mm-hmm. starting as as teens, and my mom had a really full schedule, and so we would take those summers off. We were out on a, a hobby farm at the time, and that required a lot more time and energy from us in the summer. Yeah. We learned a ton about other yeah, things. that was your school for the summer. Yeah, and so we took school off until... Well, that's funny because then at 16, I started taking college classes and I took those through the summer again. So mm. I guess it wasn't that big of a break. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's just a short question. Real nice. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, that's how we're doing it. I think that that's what we did growing up too. It was that we never had like an official summer break that we would take breaks, longer breaks in the summer yeah, because exactly. of the nature of summer. Um, but we definitely, I think
1: it's tricky too when you're like in the baby Uh, like when you're in the years of growing your family, there are certain seasons where it's like, oh, I'm going to be sick. So that's going to be a slower school time or I'm going to be postpartum. That's going to be a slower school time. So I just kind of like to do what we can when we can.
2: Hmm. Yeah,
1: that's
0: good. Okay. Uh, do you let your children listen to non gospel music? What are the limits and who are the limits?
1: I laugh when I hear this question because that's like the age old music question. What are the limits and Who are the limits? Uh, You know what I mean? Like we got in an argument about this when we were talking the first time. Do you remember that? Oh, dating? In the car. Dating. Yeah.
0: Oh, kind of. I think, I don't think I cared as much as you thought I cared in that conversation. Is that the one you're talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Or I was kind of being antagonistic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're arguing like contemporary music and then Elisha listened to a lot more pop and rock. Oh,
0: I don't know about that. Uh, Oh. Never like pop. I never listened to pop music.
1: You went to a Taylor Swift concert. Oh,
0: I went. Okay. <laughs>
1: that counts as pop.
0: But I didn't. Li- I went because there was like a free ticket and I went with a group. I wasn't. A, I wasn't. I didn't listen to Taylor Swift. No. And no. I wasn't okay. a fan. Well, I went for with.
1: For me, for me at 18, who like I had just started listening listen to country music at that point. I, and you were more in the music scene. You were five years older and you were aware of a lot of bands that I was not. I think it was. You weren't like some crazy. Listener. No, they were like
0: the indie rock bands yeah, of Seattle exactly. and Portland. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm sure it was great taste and all that.
2: I don't know. But
1: yeah. all I'm saying <laughs> is you listen to a more diverse group um, set of songs than I did. Sure. Like there's some like hip hoppy type stuff. And yeah, I like Hip hop?
0: <laughs> what?
2: what is you were
1: aware of these things. I'm not saying it was like on your iPhone phone or whatever but like when we go to your guys's weddings and stuff like that oh you would know what all the songs were and i like was like a, a i'd dan- never like heard on a this dance playlist or something yeah oh, okay got i'm it. not saying it was your own private listening playlist okay yeah. Elisha's well, just like defending his taste over <laughs> here i forget <laughs> i was like why are you so nervous?
0: i know i'm getting <laughs> and
1: it's like oh it's because your taste no i'm just saying because you were older you knew a lot more sure that makes okay. sense. okay and then yeah. i was i was the oldest my And my siblings, I remember the first time, first time I got an iPod and one of my friends gave me like Taylor Swift's like Romeo and Juliet and my sisters freaked out, told my parents, Mm. you know, it was a big deal. Anyways. So we got into an argument about this. I think it'll be a lot bigger discussion maybe when our kids are in high school. It's like, what are you playing? What are you playing? You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I mean, we already definitely have modified what we listen to since our kids have gotten older. Yeah. Like, like just
1: the other day, we started playing an Adele song that we grew up hearing. You know, sure. it, this is like rare. We listen to well, music we weren't, like that not like playing, I house. think it
0: came on on a playlist. And
1: Yeah. But like I'd listen to that song a million times and sure. all of a sudden I'm like... Wait, did she just say that? It's <laughs> like change the change the song. So I think you know, obviously, your sensitivities are peaked when you're a parent and you have all these little kids around, and they're just repeating everything they hear. Yes. And so right now, we're pretty. I think you and I are pretty strict in what we listen to, simply because we have a small selection of what we actually enjoy listening to. Yeah. And want to play for the kids.
0: Yeah, it's a combination. I think that maybe there were times. It what you know what's funny is that up until we. I love playing music. We love playing music as a family, but we don't listen to like a wide variety of music in our home. No, we We've got literally our dinner playlist, which is instrumental jazz. We've got our morning playlist, which is
1: Maranatha.
0: Well, yeah, but even like our instrumental playlist in the morning, which is just oh, instrumental yeah. has like, 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 piano and like very soothing strings and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we'll hit the Maranatha from time to time, but that's like as peppy as it gets in our household um we've probably talked about this before so this is redundant
1: well but. okay the craziest we get is every once in a while you turn on cory wong oh or yeah. the it's Vol- like the cleaning Wolfpack. music Wolfpack, yeah if we want like some
0: peppy music <laughs> for that's cleaning.
1: way funkier than i would have listened to growing up but i think it's all good yeah and most almost
0: fun. all of that's instrumental yeah which is nice cory cory wong stuff there there's some vocals here and there but we can skip them and i don't i don't know if there's any like that we would be I uncomfortable with the
1: majority with. of them i think are great fun fun loving lyrics <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess to answer the question, I'd say like 90% of the music we listen to in our home is instrumental. Yes. Um, We have
1: enough words going on in our house without listening to (laughs) more words.
0: Yeah. Lyrics really can... Like we can't... If for our dinner music, I can't have lyrics. No. There. I want to talk. And we have like like, a
1: short country playlist. Sometimes we'll play that in the summer, mm -hmm. like outside with the garage open when it's just right. Yeah. Pair of jeans fit just right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I do have two pairs of jeans that every time... I put those things on, I cannot help but hum that song to myself because I know what he's talking about when I put those jeans on.
1: Oh, that is great. Okay. Elisha. Yeah. This is the question that got me earlier when I was just scanning the questions. Okay. What is some advice you would give to young adults in these last days?
0: In the last days of...
1: That's the question. I, we know what you, we know oh, what you're talking about. I,
0: okay, so yeah, I mean, what's I think some the, advice
1: you would give to young adults in the last days?
0: You know, it does seem like the commission to Christians is the same across the board. Yes. To me, um, I am I I am pumped, more pumped than I've probably ever been about Christ's return. I think that's going to be very oh, yeah. glorious and awesome. Uh, and I also am more convicted in what He's called us to here on Earth as parents as Christians. Um, to, yeah, to be committed to the great commission, to be fruitful and multiply, to disciple the nations, uh, and to do that. And with the gifts and talents that you've been given, uh, in the community that you've been placed in, uh, so. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I loved I
1: on our, uh, recent interview with Melena and Jordan, you talked about how, uh, go and make disciples in the new Testament. We think of that as the great commission, But it is just an extension of the Old Testament commission, which is be fruitful and multiply. Hmm. And I think that that's really cool because so often we forget about that. That was the first thing that God told um, Adam and Eve as far as a commission to humanity. Hmm. And... Then he says it again, and he says it again. He says it to Noah. He says it to Abraham. He just repeats this commission. And then he also says in the New Testament, go and make disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is by raising our children. And so I think that that's just a really beautiful full picture of what that commission is. And I, I really think it's unhelpful as a parent. The one thing I'd, I'd highly encourage you not to do is to raise your children in fear that They're never going to get married. They don't need to worry about how they're going to raise their kids. Mm. They don't need to worry about what they're going to do for provision because they just need to hunker down and hide for the apocalypse. I really think that's a harmful mindset that has been populated in the church. And so we have a bunch of young people that don't have these long-term visions. They don't have generational mindsets. And... I've seen that generation, you know, my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, my generation, and now here I am raising our children. We don't know when the Lord is going to return. And so giving our children a long-term vision to live for the glory of God here on this earth and impact people is, I think, powerful, and I don't think we need to hone in on whatever we think the last days are going to look like in mm. the future with this fear, but just focus on living faithfully now and having that long-term mindset. I think that's the most helpful thing you can do for a young person. Yeah. Cause they're yeah. full of, you know, vigor and energy and you don't just want to say, well, it's, it's useless.
0: Yeah. It's not doing them any favors. Yeah. No. At all. Um, and it is pretty remarkable when you look at the commission to, parent children to disciple your kiddos in the new Testament and in the the early church. When you think of the, you know, the, I guess the qualifications of pastors and of elders there to be the husbands of one wife, to have their house in in order. You know, when you think about, you know, is it second Timothy um, or first Timothy, whatever that like, he that provideth not for his own is worse worse than the infidel. Like this, this emphasis of the home amidst like way crazier persecution than we've seen. Ever. The first century persecution of the church was bonkers. And yeah. yet the commission was like, hey, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Take care of your children. Disciple yeah, like them. Bring them up. streets like,
1: aren't lit with burning bodies. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we, I mean, in some countries, yeah, there's there's Christians that are hanging around towns dead for their faith. Yes. And it's gnarly and, yeah. and corrupt. But when I hear Americans talk about... You know the persecution of the church, I'm just like, you guys like we haven't seen anything yet, and we just need to be focused on spreading the gospel and and if to your point, I guess, if this is what God was saying to the early church, who was yeah. experiencing these things and very well could have just thrown up their hands and been like, "We shouldn't get married, we shouldn't have children, right <laughs> you know we're all just gonna die here, yeah, He still had this futuristic mindset, yeah with the exactly,
0: church. that's right. All right. Thanks for that question, Katie. Babe, I've got well, a question for you. I had a lot you. of
1: fear as a teenager, and I just, I don't think that was helpful.
0: How do you handle loneliness Loneliness and motherhood? Have you experienced that during busy seasons?
1: I'm the wrong person to ask, honestly, because I'm quite introverted. My husband is a fantastic conversationalist, and I know that I'm lucky in that regard because Some women just have their girlfriends and their husbands don't really communicate very much, but Elisha and I really dream and think a lot together. And I feel like I have excellent conversation with him and social engagement. Um, The Lord's really blessed with friends in this season. And I would say in the season of life prior to this one, when I didn't have a lot of friends, um, I was just probably a pretty clingy wife. Like looking back in, in Bend, I didn't have a lot of children, you know, they couldn't talk yet. And I didn't have a lot of, you know, so when Elisha would go hang out with friends, I would be home just like watching the clock, you know? And so th- that was a season. Yeah. I, I forgot love. about that. But I did Since you like brought it up, talking. I think
0: that was a frustration for like a, not a long season, maybe a year. It was a, a hard
1: transition for both of us because I was coming out of a big family
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then you were used to hanging out with friends pretty much daily? Right. Yeah. And so it was an adjustment for both of us.
0: Yeah, and I obviously loved hanging out with you, but there were those occasions where it was like chess club or whatever. The friends were going to do something, you know, they're going going shooting or something, and I I remember wishing you were hanging out with people because then I wouldn't feel as guilty. It's like yeah. I want to I want to just go to chess club and not feel like I'm just leaving you all alone at the house here, but you really were not a social person at all.
1: No, I wasn't. And so I worked a lot and I did a lot of, um, yeah, I just worked a lot and it was great. (laughs) But um, all that to say, I wouldn't, I didn't feel lonely. Like my family was close by and Mm -hmm. I would go over to my family's house sometime. I think I just got married with this perspective that Elisha and I would just be together all the time, like 24 seven, as soon as we got married, we would never be apart. Which was awesome. Which, honestly, like... It was great. Now, that's a lot more how we live our
0: lives. Which is, well, it was great then, too. It's, it's awesome now. Too. There's nobody I'd rather spend all my time with. And that was great. We would go to the gym together. I mean, we played volleyball leagues together. You know, we'd go to...
1: Yeah, but Elisha oh. was more social than I. And so, as a result, it it made me feel a little lonely in our marriage. Yes. But not necessarily lonely, like, outside of that, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, and I'd then I'd go hang out with girls. I wouldn't, like do anything for me
0: yeah and then in the context of motherhood um
1: I haven't felt lonely in the context of motherhood I think I'm just so engaged with my children I love teaching them stuff and but I mean it is hard to say because I do have a ton of friends right now the Lord just really blessed us with great quality relationships and I feel like I can be as social as I would like to be
0: Hmm. yeah that makes sense like the ball's really in your court there yeah it is Hmm.
1: I say no a lot more than I say yes so right but I would say, like, if you're looking for a first step, maybe, um, and you are feeling lonely, then having families over for dinner is a great thing to start doing. You can do that at any stage. It's really low-key. Um, the kids get to play together and socialize. You get a visit. And if you don't hit it off, it's no harm, no foul. But if you did, then you can connect more outside of that. So that's always where I start is having whole families over for dinner. Um, and, and it's also a very awesome invite to another young mom who doesn't want to cook she might not make time in her schedule for a play date or something like that but she'll come over to your house for dinner and strike up a friendship there
0: nice i like it
1: okay um i actually do you have another one that you sure could well answer? this one's interesting okay
0: this is this this caught my attention what are some safeguards you've put in place to not become too legalistic
1: the <laughs> legalistic question
0: uh, it, it's just, I had never thought of it like that, I guess. Like, what are the safeguards we have in place to uh, to not become too legalistic? I like legalistic. how it's
1: phrased, too legalistic. How legalistic do you think we are today? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Um, I'm not really worried about becoming legalistic. So, maybe that is a... I think legalism has a lot more to do with your heart than... How I think it has almost everything to do with your heart, actually, and finding pride in the actions that you are taking and judging other people for not having those same actions Mm. and for feeling like it earns you some kind of status or righteousness with God. So I think it's really a theology issue. I think if you know where your salvation comes from and that it's only Christ and nothing that you do can what?
0: keep talking. It's getting better. You had me concerned at the beginning.
2: I'm (laughs) I'm warming my way into this. You got to
1: stay for the whole spiel. (laughs) Um, But that our righteousness only comes from Christ and there's nothing that we can do to make us any more righteous from him. Then I think we just search the scriptures and do our best to live that out as good as we possibly can Hmm. um, out of a full heart for what he's done for us. I don't know what you would say
0: yeah well i mean i think the only thing gave me cause is when you said i'm not concerned about becoming too legalistic because i think that is a that's a danger of every human being a
1: legalist (laughs) well no
0: i think that humans are our tendency like our disposition or our propensity is towards legalism we are naturally legalistic as humans uh and everything the gospel is not natural the gospel is not that does not really compute with us apart from the working of the holy spirit. And and I think that regenerating work. And so, but then the second part of your question that your answer I totally agree with and that is uh, if there's a safeguard it's just knowing the gospel.
1: Well, and, I guess yeah, that's what I you know, to defend my point. I think I was saying I'm personally not concerned about it. I do think I was legalistic growing up hmm. and before I understood the gospel the way that I do now, but the way that I do understand the gospel at this point, I don't see how I could also believe that any form of any work would get you any more righteous before God. Sure. And that's not what my parents taught me growing up. That was just what I deduced on my own. That's just what I believed about God and about salvation. And I thought that some Christians were better than others, you know, and I'm not saying that there aren't Christians that are more mature than other Christians. That's clearly the case, but I guess I'm not, you know, thinking like, okay, I'm going to make sure that it's almost like reverse legalism, I guess, the other way around. If you were going to, like, legalism is putting rules in place, right, to protect what you believe a Christian should do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time it's referred to as, it, it's usually the Pharisees that are referred to as being legalistic. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, Jesus never called them legalistic. He called them hypocrites. Uh, because they more just kind of distorted the law rather than you know adhered to the law, but they put they they found their righteousness in the law ultimately, and I think that legalism would probably be finding any part of your righteousness before yeah. God in a set of works. Uh, I think when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, it's clearly the Old Testament law that he's talking about. But as as Christians, we can create our own random moral laws that we would adhere to, that we find righteousness in, uh, in addition to or apart from the perfect work of Christ.
1: Yes. And so from a, from a knowledge point, I guess I'm not concerned, from a heart issue, my heart is always susceptible to sin and to pride and to uh, judging other people and comparing in a way that is unhelpful. Hmm. And so that is something that I absolutely believe uh, I need to keep in check. And the way I do that is by you know, seeking the Lord and having him, um, having the fruits of the spirit and living through me and being strong in my weakness. So I don't, uh, that is an area that I always will be susceptible to. Yeah. But from a mental standpoint and what I believe to be true about the gospel, I don't think that, you know, the length of my skirts or someone else's is going to gain them any more righteousness in heaven. Yeah. yeah, But we were just talking about this whole conversation, actually. I, I laughed when this legalism conversation came up because we've been talking about it so much at our church yes. and at our home group. And I think it is hard for Christians to sometimes navigate this when the people, um, sometimes people are judged by what you believe is best. Not because you think that you find any righteousness in it, but just because that's what you truly believe the lord is calling you to and people can feel judged by that so does that make you a legalist yeah or is the issue in the other person's heart
0: yeah again that's i mean we could probably do a whole episode on that because i a hundred percent agree with you like the deeper that my understand the deeper that my understanding gets of the gospel like the more i feel like it's impossible to be legalistic and and so if there is a defense or if there's a safeguard Against legalism, it's just knowing the gospel, like trusting in Christ and and continuing to to learn about Him, to fix your eyes on Him, and to have a bigger and bigger view of God and a smaller and smaller view of man and of yourself. Like as as you grow in your faith, hopefully that's what's taking place. Mm -hmm. Um, With all that said, I don't think my parents were ever legalistic, and yet they were called legalistic my entire life, and are still to this day.
1: My family, just because of a certain set of standards that they adhere to,
0: yeah. And so again, I don't know what to do with it. Sometimes when there's an accusation of legalism, because it's like my family chose to homeschool, and uh, again, they and thought we'll, that was best. Yeah,
1: and thought it was best.
0: And they were great friends with public schoolers, but the public schoolers thought for sure, you know, called them legalists. And it's like we no, we're we're all Christians. Like we're all you know, Christian public schoolers. Um, I and think the, same with, the
1: line is tricky, is when people think you think this would also be best for me hmm. therefore you're a legalist but i don't think that's the case either i think we can think that a standard would be best for someone else as well without being legalistic about it
0: yeah cuz i don't think it's like a salvific righteousness yeah. you're not like it's yeah you know, i don't know yeah it's it's it, it it makes sense that it's an ongoing conversation you know through the through the centuries through the decades through the centuries uh but i do find it peculiar that in my mind the people who i feel like have a strong grip of the gospel a strong understanding of the gospel also live a life that people call legalistic because off and again people might totally disagree with me it seems like the more you are infatuated with christ with his finished work your life becomes a lot less recognizable to the world to a secular society which to christians or non-christians they I don't know if they feel conviction or what what it is, but they might point and say that's legalistic. I don't know.
1: Well, it's easy to do. Like when I look at someone who is holding themselves to a higher standard than me, you start to assume that they're finding some kind of righteousness in it.
0: Or they're judging you. Or they're judging yeah. you for
1: it. Or or that their belief that you should be doing that too as a Christian is legalism, which it's just not. Hmm
0: yeah because I we've got some yeah tons of great friends that have more conservative standards than you and I have yes in numerous areas of life uh, but I don't I don't think they're legalistic
1: no I wouldn't when, call them that at all
0: I, I think it's they're like living according to their convictions which I admire
1: yes uh, and I think you can live I think what we're trying to get across is like you can live according to your convictions you clearly have a reason they are convictions so you're going to value that that reasoning that got you to that point. And I think that's what... People are okay if you have your convictions, if you're cool with them having their convictions for them. I think, don't you? Instead of like calling them to a different standard Mm -hmm. and having that discussion. And I think we can have that discussion in a really judgy, stuffy, lame way. Or we can have that discussion... In a very open and frank way, and if you know they choose to do something different, we choose to do something different. No big deal. Yeah. But I don't think that we have to be scared to also call people to a different standard, um, thinking, "Oh, well, that's legalistic." Yeah. You know, if yeah. if someone's sat down with me and told them a concern that they saw in my life or in my children's life, or they think I should be doing something different as a fellow believer, I do think that's where iron sharpens iron, and I think as Christians. Just like the rest of the culture, we've gotten so soft and um, easily offended, we aren't able to have these frank, open discussions, hmm. and we just want to white-label everything and be like, legalist, yeah. <laughs> moving on, yeah. you know, instead of being so like, like, well, the maybe ultimate, they had a point.
0: Yeah, it's the ultimate, like, uh, like cancel card, or the, like, you silence them, you know, yeah, if you exactly. label them a legalist. Yeah. And
1: uh, anyways, I know I'm totally susceptible to thinking that people are legalistic when it's like, they probably aren't. I don't know the reasons why they're doing what they are doing. Yeah. And I believe conviction is a beautiful thing. And yeah. people who take on um, heavier convictions, they're taking on more responsibility. And it, that's a, that's an awesome thing. It and is. I want to be in a place to be able to call, be called up by those people right. instead of just you know slam yeah in the it's door.
0: interesting i i do think there are some like uh you know uh, like soteriological doctrines that are legalistic in it in it like legalism's baked in, baked into it
1: like they're still adhering to a law for righteousness yeah some law a law yes. of
0: moralism or something pertains to the old testament where they think it's like Christ's work plus and you're like okay well that's obvious it's like written in their whatever in their doctrine statement Yeah, yeah. You're like that's that's clearly legalistic but then when it comes to a Christian who maybe the gospel they believe is not legalistic at all. You're like, okay, I believe this gospel that's by you know grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. You know, uh, and you're like it's all His work. But then you're you're as as a Christian being refined, being whatever sanctified, and maturing in your faith you find a conviction, like you said, maybe based on how how you're going to dress or or whatever. I
1: have one. We had, so we went to Hawaii and we went to a magic show and I was really excited that I got to stand up and like help the magician. Hmm. And a gal online was like, don't you, uh, I can't believe you know that you're promoting this magic show it's a i don't know exactly the word she used but hopefully you guys get the chance like
0: it's a like a form of evil or it's a, is it like it's a, like
1: portraying evil like
2: would...
1: a form of i don't know she had verses for it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so i felt like my family was like really strict on a lot of stuff growing up and and magic shows were not one of the things <laughs> and so i just was like what on earth like she's so legalistic hmm. about this thing and then when it just like kept like gnawing on me and I went out, went and looked up the scriptures that she had mentioned and stuff, and I was still really annoyed about it. And it's been like a year and a half and I genuinely think she had a point hmm. and I respect that she had that conviction. And yeah, maybe like telling someone online something is, it's a hard place to be able to convey your true emotion and care for the person while confronting them. So that can be difficult to get through, but it's like, I was so quick to write her off in the moment. Cause I was just annoyed and I didn't see any issue with it. And I grew up conservative, so I was fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whereas, um, I just, I wish I'd taken longer to think about it. And I have, I've thought about it for years yeah. and, um, I think I, have changed my perspective a little bit on that whole thing. And
0: yeah, that is, that brings up a good point though. I mean, we got to wrap this thing up, but I, I've been pulled aside, whatever, a handful of times, maybe, maybe just like two or three times because of uh, somebody, a more mature Christian having concern it, around my conduct. And I never once received that as them being legalistic. I think yeah. when, when, and I'm, and I'm just wondering if that's really like the, the formula, for addressing maybe conduct in a fellow believer's life is that one-on-one relationship where you can look them in the eye and be like, "Hey, I know you love the Lord. I know you want to honor Him. I'm just wondering if this is an oversight." And you present it like that. Maybe when it feels like legalism, when it is a uh, you know a blanket statement from across the whatever across the sanctuary, and you're like, "Well, you don't even you know you don't even know me." You How don't do you even say- know me. Yeah.
1: yeah, there is that. I think we can get defensive when sure. someone we don't know just wants to tell us how to do things yeah I don't know I don't know it's It's a discussion this is an open discussion right now you guys because literally I I, seriously I can't believe you brought up that question with all that we've been talking about because we haven't formed our thoughts totally on this we're we're really talking about like what is legalism because again coming from families that are to this day called legalistic and Knowing what their hearts are, why they're doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. and respecting a lot of the standards they hold. Oh yeah, it's just like we're missing something here. Stuff is getting lost in translation. It wasn't like the Pharisees who were pointing to a very specific law in Scripture, yeah. and Christ fulfilled that law, yeah. and yet they were still pointing to the law. Yeah, like literally, like those specific were very instances, right? And that. Like those in, are very specific. Okay, like say one for instance.
0: Me? Yeah. Okay. I, when um, like when the his disciples are like picking the grain. Yes. That's one, right? Yeah.
1: So the Sabbath, right? They added yes. on extra rules to the Sabbath. Christ fulfilled the law, all that. They're pointing to something that was actually in the Judaic law, and now we take that law, and you you were the one who was explaining this to me. Oh
0: well, I, this is where I get confused because like Jesus was pointing to a very specific thing that he was like I. I think he was saying that they got they got it wrong like they got the point of that law wrong but then he was also saying like I'm fulfilling that and here we are on this side of Christ and somebody can say hey I you know I don't I don't think I should wear makeup or I don't you know my skirts have to be this length or I shouldn't drink alcohol or I don't want to listen to this type of music and we always point to that verse or we point to verses like that where Jesus was using like th- those always seem kind of like subjective scenarios now the ones that i just brought up like the like type of music anything or
1: anything we want now can be law or moralism
0: and yeah and, and where I...
1: all the examples in the new testament are pointing to an actual written specific law yeah and so but now as christians we just slap that Pharisaical, pharisaical maybe yeah. pharisaical label on anyone on any standard that is a moral standard yeah where yeah, so I don't nice. know. I don't know. So we don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do know this. Our only hope in life and death is, is Jesus Christ and His yes. righteousness. And I and I mean, I hope that that's communicated time and time again on this podcast when it comes to like when we stand before the throne of God. You know, the, it's Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. You know, like that's all. That's all. That's all we can say, and we're probably not even going to say that. It's like Christ is going to say it for us. You know, He's going to be like, "Yeah, these are these are mine because I bought them and I purchased them." And so, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us, and we get His righteousness now, not of anything we've done, not none of any works we've done. And so, I think that's what makes us Christian. And then, obviously, once you're a Christian, you have various convictions, and the the the, the Bible speaks of things, the Spirit, you know, teaches you things, and, or
1: just or just preferences. You know, like I think. Yeah. You know for instance because you guys know we're big on the screen free kick right now right but it's like that's something we've arrived at that conviction for our family because we do think it is best yes not just because we think it's arbitrary we also think it'd be wonderful if you eliminated forms of screens in your home we're such big fans of this and it's helped our family so much we think it would help everybody we aren't legalistic about screens if we go to your house and there are screens all over the place Will we think it's best? No. Will we try to convince you otherwise? Maybe we can talk about it. Sure. But it's like, but also, we'd be great friends, and there's no judgment there, and it's a total, it has nothing to do with our faith. Yeah, and we we know like... These are things, though, where someone can maybe say, well, because of that... You're legalistic about screens. Yeah. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah.
0: And I would even go a step further and say probably the most mature Christians or the Christians I look up to the most or that I would say are f- way further down the road in their in their walk with the Lord, they probably have screens. And I'm like, oh, they're a way more mature Christian than me. Does that make oh, sense? I, like,
1: yeah, I was trying. Obviously, the screens don't come up usually as a form of legalism. I was trying to use something, though, that people don't usually well, talk about. Well, I think people do this maybe. Say, take,
0: like, diets or a nutrition plan. You can be so excited about it. You're like, this is best for my family. And I think it'd be best for all my friends' families. You know, if they knew, if they had read this book on nutrition or if they knew about these ingredients yeah. and what it's doing.
1: If uh, they, like, eliminated seed oils, like, you could be yeah. like a Nazi about something like that, like, eliminate yeah. seed oils. And,. Thinking that someone else should eliminate seed oils from their diet is not legalism. Right. And and I'm using, I wanted to use more like not so used examples because as soon as you bring up modesty and alcohol and media these things, or tattoo, yeah. then people are already too attached to those issues. Hmm. This conversation usually circulates around a few key points yes. in the church. And we have such strong opinions on those things. It's hard for us to see very clearly.
0: Yeah. I agree. (laughs) I guess we'll wrap it up with that. Uh,
1: Oh, man, what a bombshell. That lady had no idea (laughs) that listener when she submitted that question that, like, we've been ruminating this for forever. When we come upon our perfect definition of legalism, we will let you know. But until then, thanks for joining the conversation.
0: Talk to you next week. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye.